therefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is made, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell down in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend, to lay hold of with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled unto all the fullness of God. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell. I'm after your hearts, not your heads, is a refrain often heard by college students in Dr. Mitchell's Bible classes. In his own words, his goal was to help you fall in love with the Savior, and his teachings always tended to fill your mind with the Lord Jesus Christ. In his day, there were no tape recorders, so he and his organist had to be at the station five evenings a week. He was heard live every weekday on radio stations in the Northwest. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never ends. The Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast welcomes you to this series in Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Well, in our study in Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, the Apostle Paul gives us his prayer on behalf of these believers. We read that Paul gives the reason for this prayer, which prayer he initially began in verse 1, and it is a prayer to be strengthened with power by his Holy Spirit in the inner man. Well, Dr. Mitchell gives us insight into the attitude of the one who prays to God as Paul did. And so I ask, what is my attitude when I speak with God? And what is your attitude toward this eternal God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when you speak with Him? Well, here's Dr. Mitchell, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Good day, friends. We again come to you with studies in the book of Ephesians. It's a wonderful thing to know that the Spirit of God has come to lead us and to guide us into all truth that he will take the things of the Lord Jesus Christ and make them real to us, show them unto us, and even show us things to come. He'll restore memories. He will refresh our hearts and our minds and our spirits as the Word of God has made a real thing to us. Now, we're dealing with chapter 3 of Ephesians, and we've just been discussing one of the most important things in the New Testament, the revelation of the church, the body of Christ something that was hidden from past generations and now made known to us through the apostle to fill up the word of God. And then we had such a, a revelation caused the apostle Paul to come in the presence of God with boldness, for he had access with confidence by the faith in him. 
No, no wonder then he says in verse 13, Therefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. No need to faint because of my tribulations. What is suffering in comparison to such a place in Christ in his eternal purpose? What Paul really is saying, when I think of what I have in Christ Jesus, what all the saints have in Christ, the position we have, the inheritance we have, and so on, what's a little suffering down here? Do you remember it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the last three or four verses where Paul says, these light afflictions are just for a moment. They're working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He could say to the Corinthian church in the second book, in chapter 11 and 12, where he speaks of his suffering there, you remember, and he said, I will glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me, for when I am weak, then am I strong. And one could go along with Paul in this manner. You take Romans 8, 18, I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. And here the apostle Paul saying to these Christians, and don't you faint because of what I'm going through for you. When I think of what I have in Christ, when I think of the future, when I think of my hope of the glory and to share with Christ in his glory, what's a little suffering down here in compare in comparison to what we have in Christ. This is, the, this is what Paul has in mind. You see, it puts us on an entirely different ground. Instead of, instead of uh, growling in tribulation, we glory, says Paul in Romans 5, 3. We glory in tribulations. Why? Because tribulation works for us. The same thing in Corinthians 4. Paul just saying, put your tribulations to work. They're working for you, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. The marvelous thing, the effectual working of God's power, not only in Paul, but in every believer, from being dead in sins in chapter 2, without Christ, without hope, and without God, and now members of the body of Christ having access into the presence of God and to know that we're going to be conformed to his image and share with him in his eternal glory. Oh, friend, who wouldn't be a Christian? Who wouldn't love the Savior? This is beyond all human, human reasoning. You can't philosophize about this very much. Take it by faith. This is what God says. As I said a moment ago, it's beyond all human comprehension. But not to the man of faith. Paul saw what he had in the glory. He saw what he was going to be like when God got through with him. And he said, don't you, don't you faint. Don't get disheartened because of what I'm going through. I don't need any sympathy, says Paul. Don't give me any sympathy because of my sufferings. They're working for me. Eternal glory. So you have it here. Now, starting in at verse 14 and running through to the end of the chapter, we have the second prayer of the Apostle Paul in his book of Ephesians. Do you remember the first one in chapter 1 was a prayer for knowledge, that we might know the hope of his calling, we might know the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, we might know what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who do believe, and so on. Power of resurrection and exaltation. We might be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. This was a prayer in the first chapter. And when you come to the third chapter, his prayer is for strength. It's a prayer for intimate 
intimate fellowship with God. But first of all, may I suggest in verses 14 and 15 the great reverence in the heart of this man, Paul. Listen to what he says. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is need. I bow my knees before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now in chapter 1, he prayed that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. You see, not his prayer here. Here you have a heart poured out in worship to God for the revelation of his purpose concerning the church. The relationship of the Father and the family of God in heaven and in earth. Remember that we are his by right of creation and we're his by right of redemption. This ought to make us to be full of joy and praise. This wonderful, wonderful fact that I bow my knees before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. You mean you belong to heaven? Yes, I do. In 1 John chapter 3, the first verse, Behold what man that of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God. And we are. Therefore, therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Galatians 3.26 says, We're all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And let me not forget John chapter 1, verse 12, To as many as received him, to them he gives the right, the authority, the power to become the children of God, even to them that believe on his name. All Romans 8.14, As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. We have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. We see the spirit of adoption whereby we cry out our Father. Or in Ephesians here, chapter 1, you remember, where he speaks of the fact that we are the children of God. We belong to him. Joined to him. Amazing thing. I say it's an amazing thing. That you and I should come into the very presence of God not as a servant, not as an angel, but as a child of one who is God. And you back in, in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, about, verse, about verse 5, where he said God determined that we should, he would adopt us into his family as his sons. We go back to glory. We're going home. We're going where we belong. Our citizenship is in heaven. And the very angels of God Principalities and powers have to acknowledge our relationship to God. No wonder Paul is full of hope. No wonder he bows his knees and his heart, reverence before God. You know, I think I should say this. I'm afraid that today here in America, even among evangelical Christians, we've lost something of the reverence and the awe, A-W-E, the awe of the presence of God. Now, it's not coming into the presence of someone who's a tyrant. We're coming into the presence of our Father. But he's God, and he's righteous, and he's holy. And when I think of the revelation of his grace to us, 
This brings worship, praise, adoration, thanksgiving. Sometimes my, I have to confess, sometimes I the chills go down my back when I hear some of the songs that are sung today. Absolutely no reverence, no manifestation of the love of the grace of God. Quite a bit of it is fleshly. I make bold to say that. We've, we've taken from the world the things that are of the flesh. And sometimes I think some of the songs that have been written or have sung to, to demons, we've picked up that same thing and we've written Christian words to it. And I don't think, I think we've lost something. I think we've lost something of the reverence. Paul says, when I think of what I have in Christ, he didn't say, I shout hallelujah. I bow my knees in worship, in praise, and adoration. And while I'm on the job, I may well say this. You don't have to bring the world into the church to win young people. If the Spirit of God and the love of Christ and the Word of God can't grip and transform young men and women, I'll tell you nothing else will. Nothing else will. Now, I'm not opposed uh, to, to organizations and doing things. I'm not opposed to that, but what I'm trying to get to your heart is I think we've lost something. I think we've lost something. We, we haven't put first things first. And when your heart is in love with a Savior and you talk about him as a reverence, Jesus is not like you and me. Jesus is the Son of God. Sometimes we use his name as if he was somebody down the street. May the Lord be merciful to us and gracious to us and put into your heart and my heart that adoration, that worship that is so needful today. Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I say again, I, I, I hope in some way that we who are evangelicals who love the Savior, even in our meetings, God grant there'll be something of reverence. I don't mean being stiff-necked. I don't mean being religious or holier than thou. I'm not meaning that at all. I mean, I'm talking about something from the heart, not something that's put on. I mean something of the heart. But there's a real heart worship before the Savior. By the way, did you ever get down before the Lord and tell him how much you loved him? Did you ever come in the presence of the Lord by yourself, not with some requests? We're all adept at bringing our requests. But just to love him, just to praise him, just to worship him, just to ask the Lord to enlarge your capacity for truth, to ask the Lord to enlarge your love for him, which will be evident by obedience to his word. What I'm trying to get to your heart and mind is this. When the apostle Paul realized what he was in Christ and what God has in store for the church, which is made up of redeemed sinners, he couldn't help but drop to his knees in thanksgiving and worship and praise. Oh, that the Lord would Reveal to your heart and to my heart, to your mind and my mind, 
the great yearning to come in the presence of God and just worship him, to be full of praise and thanksgiving to the one who loved us enough to give himself for us. But shall we get down to the prayer? I just stop there for a few moments. Now, the first thing he asks for, the first thing he asks for is for strength in verse 16. Now, mark what his prayer is. First thing, first request, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That's the first one. Second request that Christ may dwell down in your hearts by faith. Third request, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend, to lay hold of with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. The next request, that you might be filled unto all the fullness of God. How in the world can all that be accomplished? Verses 20, 21. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, the ages of the ages of the ages. Now let me get the first request. Verse 16. He prayed that God would grant to the saints according to the riches of his glory, to be what? To be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. What he prays for, if I may be a little more literal in the verse, he prayed we may be made powerfully strong by his Spirit in a life that is energized by the Spirit. Now, the place of action is in the inner man. And by the way, this is where we're mostly weak. By how we need this strength in the inner man. Um, you might be strong physically. You might be strong mentally. But what about your spirit? What about the new creation? What about your spiritual life before God? That's why Paul says in Colossians 1.29, I strive according to the working of him who worketh in me mightily. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, the second book, chapter 4, verse 7, when he said, We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of man. Same thing in chapter 3, verse 8 of 2 Corinthians. Our sufficiency is of God. And what could go on? You take, for example, uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 4. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but the mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Say, friend, let me get this thing very, very clear in your mind. Paul prays to be made powerfully strong. He uses very strong words there, by the way to be made powerfully strong. Oh, we don't want to be weak, do we? Do we? We want to be strong in God. And it's a good prayer. Lord, make me powerfully strong. Where? In the inner man, in the inner man. That's where most of us are weak. That's why we do what we do is because we're weak. One meets weak Christians. How do you know they're weak? By what they do. Where are they weak? Physically, no. 
Mentally, no. They're weak in the inner man. Oh, how, I, how glad I am that God comes to indwell us to do the thing we can do. To be made powerfully strong in the inner man. But notice it's according to the riches of his glory. Now, allow me to say what I've said before. Riches of glory, here you have a, the source of supply for Christians. I've been, re I've been saying this in chapters 1 and 2. Riches of grace proceed from the cross. If a man needs forgiveness, redemption, to become a Christian, he comes to the cross. And there God, in the riches of his grace, will pick up any sinner and transform him into a saint. Will pick any man who's without Christ and without hope and redeem him, make him his children. No longer a child of wrath, but a child of God. But riches and glory proceed from the throne, and that's for the Christian in his daily walk and conversation. For example, here, he prays we might be powerfully strong according to his riches in glory. Let me repeat this. It's somehow or another, I find Christians know quite a bit about the work of Christ on the cross. They know so little about Christ's present ministry. Again, I repeat it. The riches of grace proceed from the cross. This is where people are saved, the cross. God forbid that I should glory, said Paul, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified to me and I to the world. He gave himself for our sins. He bare our sins in his own body on the cross. There we have redemption. There we receive salvation and forgives and so on. But the riches of God, what about my present need? I'm a Christian now. I'm in relationship to God, which never changes. But if I'm weak, I feel God so much, all right? Our Paul prays, praying for you, praying for me. We might be made powerfully strong according to his riches in glory. This proceeds from the throne. You take Philippians chapter 4, 19. Do you remember it? My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus, to be made powerfully strong according to his riches in glory. He should supply all our need according to his riches in glory. I hope I made myself clear. Why do Christians live a carnal life? Because they don't go to the riches of glory. I have friends who are preachers, and they know quite a bit about what Christ did on the cross. They agree with you on that. And they know something about Christ's return to the earth. They know something about that. But what do they know about Christ doing now? Christ has three works to do. He did one work on the cross. He's finished that work. He's doing another work now. He's my high priest. He's my intercessor, my representative. He's going to come again to do another work. He's going to come to reign as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. That's yet in the future. But my Christian friend, God wants you just to pull on the riches of glory. What for? For strength. Where? In the inner man. Right where the, we are the weakest in the inner man. I repeat this, and I don't mind repeating it. Remember, riches of grace proceed from the cross. That's where we're saved. Riches in glory is for every sinner, the weakest one as well as the strongest one. Riches of glory 
for my present need. And if you've got a lot of need, he can meet everything. He knows exactly what you need and can meet your need. You just look to him. Come with confidence, with boldness to the throne of grace, and there obtain mercy, find grace to help in every time of need. Where do you go to? The throne of grace. It's from the throne that strength comes from, from God to every believer. Now may you pull on the throne of God today for your every need, and the Lord bless you abundantly for his precious namesake. you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.